As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So, the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Sixth AMB, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined as I always am by Ari Wasserman, who's got what, like uh, 10 days here before, you're, before you enter into wedded bliss? Yeah, I thought that uh, I would say that it's the last podcast that we're going to do before I'm married. Um, but it is kind of a unique scenario on the show where the person getting married know, like announces it before they do it, you know, instead yeah. of just like showing up one day married like you. Yeah. Well, I like, to, um, I like to keep people on their toes. I'm going to bring my podcast mic, so maybe we'll do like a, a morning of the wedding podcast. I'm sure I'm sure Britt would be really appreciative of you doing a podcast with me on the morning of your wedding. What, what is she going to be doing? She'll be like, you know. Probably getting ready for your wedding. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> what I got to put a blazer and a, a shirt on. Like what, you know, let's just not rule it out. Okay. That's all I'm saying. I'm probably going to rule it out, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Are you going to bring are, your mic? I, I am because. That's it. That's I'm, all you have to say. I'm going on vacation next week, so we probably will not have a show next week because I'm going on vacation to leave on Saturday, um, and this, which leads into your wedding. But then after that, you and I are going to be in Phoenix for like work meetings. Where so we will do one in person one there. Maybe we can do one in person, which we haven't done in like three years. So It'll be great. That could be a nice time, but uh, probably not the morning of your wedding would okay. be my guess. We'll see. Maybe yeah. after the wedding. 
Maybe maybe around the midnight. Re- the reception can just be a live episode of four to six with A and B that everyone has to sit and watch watch us record. Well, the hope is that the reception will be thirty one minutes and that we can all get drunk. Uh, so, like, I hope that like, that's the extent of the wedding. It's like a twenty minute whatever where everybody has to sit there and he he ha ha. Okay, I mean we're, we're married, we have a child, we share bank accounts, and we own a home. So, like, I don't know, like, what are we doing? Let's just go get drunk. My wedding was ninety seconds, so. Actually, we went and got the we went to the thing last week and got the marriage license, and I was pleasantly shocked at how easy and quick it was. I don't know what it was like in Ohio, but like I was like bracing for like a three hours sitting in in the corner waiting and incompetent people in front of us asking questions that don't make sense, and it was just like, nope, we just had a ticket. They called us in, we showed our IDs, they asked if we were related by blood, (laughs) like we said no, and then we we signed the we signed the certificate. So it was it was very quick. I was not ready for the are you related by blood question. <laughs> I asked like, the person, I said, have you ever done, like, has anybody been like, yes? yeah? And she goes, yes, regularly, which I don't know if that is your experience in Ohio. But I mean, I was just like, because the thing about it is related by blood means that you have the same bloodline. But like if you married your cousin's cousin that was married into the family, that's no longer your family member, right? I believe that is like that's so like if so like if that is not that so you can marry that person because they're not by blood. Uh huh. Okay. That that may or may not have happened somewhere in my family. Well, I mean, like my cousin Kyle that you know is like one of my best friends in the world. His brother or his dad is the brother of my father. I'm saying it like he said in Wolf of Wall Street, if you notice. Um, but he has. His dad's wife, her family, and he has cousins on the other side that I've never even met before. So, like, to me, like, if I were to have met that cousin who has no bearing whatsoever on my family whatsoever, I don't find that that weird. No. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. If you have thoughts on marrying your cousin, uh, email 4to6ab. Four, four you never know what you're going to get on the show. You never, you know, I'm, I'm happy that Britt has no... Uh, relation whatsoever to my family in any regard. So I, I feel like good about that. That's good. But yeah. I don't know that I would judge somebody if they f- happened to fall in love with somebody who was a cousin of a cousin from the other side of the family. Like, I think I would be good with that. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably fair. I would think you never know who you're going to fall in love with. The heart wants what the heart wants. And uh, right. thank you for listening that's to the show guys. I'm so sorry. That's right. Yeah, we appreciate it. That'll wrap up the show. We'll, we'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Uh, I was at the spring game on Saturday. Ari watched the spring game from his humble abode in Dallas. Uh, we are a few days removed from that, obviously recording this on Tuesday morning. We wanted to share, I guess, some parting thoughts on that. Some of what we watched, like fr- frankly, I don't, I, I think sometimes we make a lot out of the spring game, probably a little too much. Um, I th- I think two things. I think I think the spring game is a really fun event, and it's like a cool reason to get together in Ohio Stadium. And I think people should go if they've never been to the shoe, because it's a cheap way to get in there and spend a day with your family. And if the weather is nice, that it makes it that much nicer. The second part is that it is a very watered down practice um, that I think is not super revelatory when it comes to trying to figure out things about the Ohio State football team. You know what but, I think? You know what I think it is? What's that? I think it is a glimpse. Like you can look at the scheme and, and good on good and all the stuff that we have to break down. Um, but I think it is a glimpse of looking at what people are physically capable of doing. 
Like I have a better view and a better understanding of what Evan Pryor is physically capable of doing now than I did before the weekend. Yes. Like, and I, I think, think that right. is what I would take away from that game more than anything. So mm-hmm. I miss the days where they used to draft, you know, like a full team on team and they would play four quarters and compete full go, you know, obviously the quarterbacks never got tackled, but a full game where you could just like actually watch it and think about it. Like it's a football game. This was like mm-hmm. a combination of weird scoring and thud and all that stuff where like, you know, it would have been nice to see if a running back could, could get out of a jam rather than just slapping his knee and it being over, you know? Um, but like, we well, could say a decent amount of tackle. They, they played did, more they tackle. Did, yeah. They played more tackle this time than they did last year. They didn't play like any last year. So there was a little more real football, but not necessarily with like the starters. When like when CJ Stroud was in the game, they played thud tempo. That's right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that there were there were certain players that flashed, and you could feel good about it. And there was some pretty good uh, glimpses of good on good on the lines too, right? Um, yeah, that you, could, that you so. could take away from. So. You know, I I feel like the spring game used to be like the the coming out party for young players, and it still is to a certain extent. But the fact that it's not a game and it's kind of just like an unorganized, organized scrimmage kind of takes away the, the fun away from like the fan experience of it, I think. But if you mm-hmm. just are a mega Ohio State fan, which you probably are if you're listening to the show, you get to see your favorite players that you followed in recruiting do stuff. And I think that there is value in that. Yeah, I think there is too. I, I would prefer like a traditional scoring system, and I would prefer like breaking up the team with Scarlet and Gray. Uh, the reason Ohio State did not do that and just did offense versus defense is because of how kind of thin they are on the offensive line right now. And I think you saw that play out in the game. Like if if someone had to play an offensive line that was like mostly second team or third team guys, that would not have been a particularly good day for that team. So I think it was probably more fair in that way to, to do it the way they did it. But it is hard to keep track of like, okay, they got a three and out. How many points is that? Um, but also, you don't really have to care about who wins because it doesn't matter who wins. It used to matter who wins because they used the loser used to have to mulch Buckeye Grove. Um, or Joshua Perry was talking after the game, like uh, or talking during the game, calling it for Big Ten Network. Like the losers used to have to walk back to the Woody, yeah. or used to have to eat hot dogs when everyone else got like a good good buffet after the game. But I don't I'd know be fine with hot any. dogs if we're being honest yeah. with each other. Yeah, hot dogs are fine. <laughs> like what, when did hot dogs become a punishment? <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't know if they did any of that. I think it was just like they practiced and they went back to the wedding and had a picnic and that was it. So um, I wonder what I they do had kind of, on, the, on the feedback over there at the, at the picnic, though. Yeah, that's true. I didn't, you I should didn't ask every day, what did you guys have for lunch today? And just like do like a journal of like everything Ohio State football players ate during the Ryan season. Day, Ryan Day comes to the podium at every practice. Ryan, what you guys eat today? That's yeah. it. That's, all my, that's my only question. That's it. <laughs> yeah. no, no further questions, Your Honor. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jim Knowles's defense in a minute but let's talk about some individuals that kind of caught our eye first and and honestly the individuals that caught caught our eye are probably the individuals that caught a lot of people's eyes um but evan Pryor, who you mentioned maybe the most would you say he was the guy who stood out the most to you in that spring game he runs with pop yep and like when they recruited him i remember visiting him at his high school um before i left the ohio state beat north carolina and when he walked into the room i was like are you five like, I thought he was, like, I mean, I was, like, shocked by how small he was, considering, you know, a few months prior, I was in Tucson with B. John Robinson, who looked like a, an NFL running back, and I thought, well, this is going to be a nice little change of pace pack. You know, I thought, like, he's really fast and elusive and quick and, you know, can be a nice, like, lightning to someone's thunder, but I thought he ran very powerfully. You know, and, like, watching him, now that he's got some more weight on him and being in the program for a year after redshirting last year, 
I thought this is a guy that could and maybe should play some. Yeah, I, I thought that kind of going into it. So I, I, it was more for me like maybe a little bit of validation in in believing some of that earlier in the spring. But he did. He said he's stronger. I don't. I don't know. I think if you looked at his weight this year compared to last, it's probably the same. But he said. I think what he said was like he came last year at a certain weight, but didn't really have the strength that you should have at that weight. So he kind of like stripped it down and built it back up. And now he feels stronger, even though his weight is more or less the same, if that makes sense. Um, but he doesn't seem to have sacrificed any of that, like lateral agility that he has um, definitely has like a, a burst to him. That is, it's a little different than Mayan Williams. It's not, and it's like, I think Mayan Williams is really good back too. I think, I think like my, my prevailing thought coming out of the game was like, Oh, I said has three, like pretty good running backs has one, like great running back. And his two backups are, are, probably starter caliber at most other places. Um, but Evan Pryor has just a, an ability, I think, like to get to the edge to make more than one guy miss that should make him someone who plays. I, like, I don't know how much. Like, more than he played last year. How, how much can you really What, do you have, like, 21 carries last year? Yeah, and, like, half of that was in one game. Like, how, how much can you really work in three running backs, especially when one of them is as good as Trevion Henderson is? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that Evan Pryor is suddenly going to start getting eight carries a game, but he even strikes me as a guy who, if he's getting, like, four or five touches a game, is someone who can do something with that. Like, he, can, he might be able to score once. If you, you know how you say he gets to times. the edge? It feels like to me that if he gets to the edge, and, and I mean, he has a great burst from – from zero to full speed, which is something that I think mm-hmm. is really crucial at the college game. It puts a lot of pressure on the defender who's going to be facing one-on-one on the edge to not only make a tackle but get there faster, which then I think also leads to mistakes. So, like, to me, it strikes me as a guy who who could take an ordinary off-tackle handoff and be up the sidelines really quickly, which I think is a pretty valuable um, valuable tool. Now, I don't know what the pecking order at the running back position is. My My thought process would be that it's – unchanged that Mayan is still the clear number two and Trey is number one but I will say that that one cutback that Mayan Williams had uh, in the second half when he just kind of like cut back very abruptly and then ran for 15 yards in a a play that looked like that was one of the nastiest cutbacks I've ever seen in my entire life and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be uh, hyperbolic there like that was super athletic and I was like holy shit when I saw that so like that to me, and you you made this point when we were talking about it yesterday. It was in that point about the the, the Mike Weber comparison, but the Mike Weber with a cutback. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you make that because I thought it was really really good. Yeah, I think I think uh, there's a physicality like with Mayan Williams and Mike Weber that you probably would want to use to compare the two of them. But I think that Mayan Williams has the ability to like make that one extra cut. Um, Mike Mike Weber was like a really good straight like super fast straight line speed. Um, kind of downhill dude and Mayan Williams I think is probably not as fast but runs with a similar physicality but also has probably better feet than he gets credit for um and he did it I thought it was uh I don't know if interesting is the right word or not but like Evan Pryor had his 22 yard touchdown run and then on the very next drive Mayan Williams is in there and he takes a handout or handoff wide to the right sticks his foot in the ground like jukes the shit out of Mitchell Melton and then gets down the sideline for 36 yards. And I was like, oh, because uh, as soon as you wanted to like fall in love with Evan Pryor, like, oh man, that's something there. And Brian Williams was like, look, I can do that too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, they're both, I think they're both very What's good. What's interesting is that they're, 
like Trey is probably a combination of both of them, right? Like I think Trey illustrates both of their abilities. Trey's yeah, got it's great just like, cutback it's just ability, like maximized speed. versions of them. Yeah. Yes. So like to me, in games that are in question, eighty-five to ninety percent of the carry should go to him. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting, though, that the second and third running backs on the roster both have very uh, different attributes that can be very lethal in multiple ways. So I don't, and like the thing is like about coaching that I don't understand. Maybe you can key in on this is if you have a fast guy or you have a, have a meatball for lack of a better mm-hmm. word and you want their skill sets, like how do you choose which one skill sets is best served for what you need on that drive? Is it based on, is this going to be more of a spread them out, you know, spread them out. We're going to throw more often, get, Evan Pryor into the game because if we do trick him with a draw, then his speed can catch them off guard. Um, if it's a, we need to run clock, you know, we're going to use Mayan Williams because we think he can fight for extra yardage when we're just trying to smash it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know how to employ those skill sets differently. I mean, was I right? What I just said, like, how do you, how do you try to manifest what they do best at the right time? I think, I think you're on it. I think, I think like the state of the game in that moment, if, if it's, if you're playing it just sort of like in a normal you know, throws of the game, for lack of a better term, I, th- I think you can mix it up. But yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to chew clock late in a game, I think Mayan Williams is probably your guy because he can keep it between the tackles. He'll get he'll get you five when it should be two. He'll get you, you know, he'll get you four when it should be one. Like he falls forward at the end of runs, that kind of stuff. Like he just keeps it moving. I think I would probably use him in those situations. But if you're if you're still playing it and you want to you know have a little bit of an explosive element to your offense, it's not to say that Maya Williams can't add that, but I think Evan Pryor probably has a little more of that to him. Um, but I also think like the fact that I think Evan's probably a little more similar to Trey. Um, Mayan is is different from both of them, I think. But that's why like I'm infatuated by the idea of like trying to play more than one running back at a time if you can, like they did when they had Mike Weber and Curtis Samuel a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. The the thunder and lighting. Yeah, I just want to see two backs in the backfield. Why can't we have two backs in the backfield? Not all the time, just some of the time. Why is there always got to be a tight end out there? As long as there's no tight end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, don't eliminate the position. Just, you know, give them a break. Let them get some water. Put two running backs out there. Yeah, yeah. See what happens. More people who can touch the ball and run very fast with it, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. Although Joe Royer is the was, makings of Rob, Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. And if there was any question about who won, you were a little bit too lax on the uh, on the giving of the tight ends at the end. I, I would have just I would have nabbed Royer. I'm in love with that guy. He's not going to be used properly, but I love him. Yeah, he would be awesome in an offense that threw the ball to him, that's for sure. Uh, but he is also – he he blocked okay, I thought in the spring game, he, he got out in space and, and had a good lead block on Evan Pryor's touchdown run. So I think, I think he can do most of what they want him to do. Um, he looks, he looks more like a receiver just like he does. physically. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe uh, can he, can he block a, a defensive end regularly? I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I liked, I came away liking him. Kate Stover, I feel like to like start it, but did not play a ton. Um, G. Scott caught a few passes. I don't think he blocked particularly well. Didn't he catch like 12 passes for like nine yards? I think he had like five for 30 yeah. or something like that, yeah. Um, but he had like a, a tough one over the middle. He still kind of just looks more like a receiver to me. Um, I don't have strong opinions on Sam Harder, but and Christian and Mitch Rossi didn't play. But 
I thought Joe Royer looked good. Yeah. Yeah. He was another guy. Like he didn't he didn't stand out in quite the same way as Evan Pryor, but I thought if you were to name a second offensive guy who showed you a little something, it was probably him. I don't know you know, we get carried away when people score touchdowns, I get it, but it was the way it looked. Um and I pointed it, bodies around him, took some contact. Yeah. 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 Um, it kind of strikes me as if he could put, you know, twenty five pounds of of good weight on him and keep his agility and his athleticism that he could be a really, really good player down the line. He's like listed as two forty five, but he doesn't look he doesn't look two forty five to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's his height. Maybe he just carries it really well. Yeah, but he looks more like two thirty. But yeah, he's a good he's definitely a good looking player. Um, how about on defense? Anybody stick out to you on defense? Uh, oh, I'm not gonna steal steal your thunder on this one. But I thought well before before you go into the Kai Stokes is the best player on the team rant. I, I want right. to uh, say that I thought Jordan Hancock looks the part. I thought so too. His that that back to back sequence where he uh, had that pass breakup, I think it was against Marvin Harrison, where he like was in his own drop, like exploded forward, knocked the ball away, and then the next play came up and tackled Mayan Williams in the in the flats Uh for like a four yard loss. Like that Mm -hmm. was the that was the best sequence I think any defensive player had in the game, and really probably any player on either side of the ball had in the game. Um, So yeah, I'm in on him too. Denzel Burke, I thought had some good moments. Like he's, I think he's clearly the number one corner. but I think Jordan Hancock and even Jacqueline Johnson, you know, he played okay too. I think bringing like a different level of physicality to that position that um, Jim Knowles wants. And I left, is get I left the, the spring game feeling more comfortable about the pieces they have. Now I'm very curious how Jim Knowles is going to finally like put them together, like assemble yeah. them in the fall. But I feel more confident with the young talent and what they might be capable to do if put into a position to have to play a lot than I was last week. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think I agree with that too. Um, and I, I guess I would put Kai Stokes in there as well. Like he's not. I, I don't know how much he can play because I think if everyone's healthy, your first four safeties are are, and probably your first five safeties are Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, Tanner McAllister, Cam Martinez, and Court Williams, like in some form or fashion. So I don't know. But the thing with Kai Stokes is I think he can play all three positions, which would help him. Um, but he was a kid that when we talked to him, and I think I said it when we did our draft, like when we talked to him, um, when we talked to the early enrollees back in February, whenever that was, he was just super impressive with with like his confidence, uh, what his mindset at the time seemed to be. And you just thought to yourself, like, this kid's got a shot. And then he was like the first one to lose his black stripe. And then he played really well in the spring game and got a lot of work. And I thought Flash, you know, his ability to play center field, his ability to be disruptive on the ball, came up and made a couple tackles in the backfield. Um just played with a lot of energy, um, which like it was really kind of refreshing to see at Ohio State safety kind of play that way because I don't I don't know if we've seen that the last couple of years. And like it was just a spring game. I get that. I'm not saying he's going to go do it against Notre Dame, but that's what you that's how you want to see a safety play. Is how Kai Stokes played in that spring game. So yeah, um, I think he at the very least gives you a little more confidence in their depth. But also, if you're thinking about guys in this 2022 recruiting class who have the chance to contribute the most early on. Um, he should probably be pretty high up on that list. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, to kind of, do you have anything else you want to say about the the secondary? No, I just had like one other thought on the game about Jim Knowles. But if there's something else you want to think, well, I just to wanted to, and I don't know if this is fair, but I think like the there was a lot of Paris Johnson, uh, Jack, Jack Sawyer matchups in that mm-hmm. game, and I thought that a breakdown of that from you would be good. I. I think that it's unfair because when a defensive t- uh, end blows past the offensive tackle 
and has a big play, which Jack Sawyer, I think, drew one holding call and then had a sack where he literally just blew up Paris Johnson's world. Like, that's kind of the prevailing thought when you leave. Like, wow, he's really got something. But, like, you kind of tempered it a little bit. And I – like, who do you think won their their battles and what do you think it says about them? Well, the, the thing that's hard with offensive – because I, I distinctly remember two moments that you just referenced where Jack Sawyer certainly won his rep against Paris Johnson. But they went head-to-head more than twice. But it's like when the offensive lineman wins, you just don't you really just don't notice realize it. it. You, don't, you yeah. don't notice it. So – I don't want to say that Jack had had Paris's number all game because um, I don't I don't think that's what happened. Um, but I think I think you saw with Paris like a guy who's still trying to get comfortable out out in that space. Like he on the one he sort of like missed his punch and got caught off balance, and and Jack just kind of like powered through him. They didn't even really do a move. He just kind of like ran it through a guy who was off balance, and, and you don't want your left tackle doing that. Obviously, um, Jack got him with a spin move one time. It's kind of funny. I think like like Larry Johnson is like anti spin move. For some whatever reason, I guess he just doesn't want you turning. Well, here's back why it might be because, like, during that spin move where Jack Sawyer got the best of Paris Johnson, like, Jack Sawyer's back was to Paris Johnson, like, in yeah. the offensive backfield. And it's just right. like, and he still was able to come off of that. But, like, I am always very shocked, like, when the offensive lineman just doesn't go, okay, here's the your back, go eat dirt now. Yeah. But it's like, I know it happens way faster in real time than it is when you look at it. But if you go back and watch that play, because I watched it like four times. He just like spun across his face. I think more often than not, that is probably what happens, which is why Larry Johnson doesn't want you to do this spin move. But, but like Jack won with one, and then JT Tuimolowell won with one later in the game against Grant Tuton, um, which I just thought it was funny. They like pulled it out in the spring game. But um, I'm not like overly alarmed about Paris, and maybe some people might see those couple of plays and, and I don't know, be a little concerned. I'm, I'm not. I, th- I think he's he was taken out of his natural position last year. He's had. That was his 15th practice at left tackle. Um, I think Jack Sawyer is a pretty good player, and I just think it takes time to get used to being on that island, but it's not like Paris was losing every rep. So um, if it was like if it was like continuously – He's losing like every, every rep with those helmets that he's wearing. But yeah, you don't Not, not physically. Yeah. yeah. He's got one of those funky new helmets that CJ Stroud's wearing, except My, it, looks wor- it looks worse because the face, the face mask bars are different and it looks weirder. I think CJ Stroud's looks like a space person's helmet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like sci-fi movies, and my buddy said to make a point made me watch Interstellar. Uh-huh. And I thought it was interesting for the first 20 minutes, and then I thought it was two hours too long, and then I didn't understand the ending, which is why I hate sci-fi movies. Um, I've and never I, seen it. Yeah, well, you save yourself three hours. <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and there's people probably screaming like, oh, my God, it's the greatest movie of all time. If you're a sci-fi person, I'm sure you love the movie. I think people think it's a top 50 movie of all time. I thought it was too too long uh and the first thing that you get when you google interstellar into youtube is a 19 explanation a 19 minute explanation of the end and i personally believe that if you're a screenwriter that the burden's on you to make it clear to the audience what's happening uh it's it's not on us but i also thought that cj stroud looked like his helmet came from the set of interstellar (laughs) it does yeah it looks like it looks bubbly doesn't it yeah It looks like it would survive uh, re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. Yes, yes. Uh, Bill, I've been meaning to ask you this. Are there aliens? (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, one more thing on the spring game, and we'll, we want to talk some recruiting and maybe some other just like parting thoughts on the spring. But uh, Jim Knowles said after the game that he said, "What did he say? We were, we were very vanilla. We didn't do anything," which is like kind of true. They didn't blitz. He kept this front pretty traditional. Um, you didn't see anything with like the the Leo position and moving it around the way he likes to move it. Um, I don't think he changed the picture tremendously on the on the back end of the defense. It was like like his his calling card. I think more than anything is, is sort of confusion, and I don't think he did that very much. But if that was Jim Knowles' defense at like its base stripped down to the studs level, then it is far more complex than anything we've seen from Ohio State the last few years. Because and like I'm not I'll, I'll give other people credit for this. Like uh, who's oh. Uh, it was a Kyle Jones, the film guy at 11 Warriors, and Ross Felt, Ross Fulton um, from Buckeye Scoop. Like the, they, those guys are guys that know more about coverages than I do. Like I can't, I can't watch a game like, oh, this was this coverage, this was this coverage, unless it's like cover one, cover three, which maybe says something about the defense at Ohio State's been running the last few years. Um, but once it gets more complex than that, uh, I, I need to like rewatch the game before I know what I'm looking at, and even that I'm not entirely sure. But those guys are saying like Jim Knowles ran like 10 different coverages, and that's you know five times as many that Ohio State has had the last couple of years. So um, while it was basic and they didn't do a ton, I think like you learn a little something about what they consider just sort of their base identity when teams kind of play that way or practice that way. And Jim Knowles' base identity is still far more complex than what Ohio State has done here recently, which I think is a good yeah. thing for Ohio State. Um, also, did you have any thoughts on quarterback play that was not C.J. Stroud? Because I think it's funny that we went to – like usually when we're in the spring game, it's like the first 45 minutes is the backup quarterback. And I didn't know – like I uh, thought Devin Brown looked moderately sharp for being on campus for an hour. And I do think that uh, Kyle McCord is a good enough quarterback to start at other Big Ten programs and beyond. I think Kyle McCord just looked more comfortable um, – like was good with taking whatever easy stuff was there. The, the ball down the seam to Joe Royer was was a was a rocket and, and like really showed off his arm strength. I don't think any of them like really threw the deep ball all that well. Um, and it was I guess it was like a little windy. I don't know, but I felt like uh, all the deep shots from all three of them were, were kind of coming up short a little bit. Um, no, I didn't have any super strong thoughts other than Kyle McCord looked a little more comfortable, and I thought Devin Brown for having only been here a few weeks seemed to have his feet under him a decent amount, which was, which is impressive. He also has, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of game where you can like really, really show it. But I think even, even in a little bit where he like would pull the ball and, and like get out of his cut and run a little bit, you can see that he's got some athleticism and like escapability to him that frankly, I don't know if the other two have. Um, I think like if there's a thing, if there's a thing that Devin Brown can like hang his hat on, down the road as he tries to take the Ohio State starting quarterback job. It is his athleticism. 
Yeah, I actually, all thought, three that, of them I actually thought that in certain elements, when C.J. Stroud was flush from the pocket, that he looked a little quicker. Yeah, and I thought he threw... I, don't, I did not think he threw the ball particularly well on the move last year, and I thought he threw it better on the move um, on Saturday. Yeah, so if that's in the bag, that'll be a good little addition for him. They need it, yeah, because they need that they need that play-action pass game to not be so predictable when they go under center. They also did, uh, like, I don't, I don't recall them ever doing this under Ryan Day. They did, like, under center straight drop-back pass game with no play-action. It was just, like, under center, five-step drop, three-step drop, get the ball out quickly, but... I think that's another changeup they need so that when they get under center or they get in pistol, you know they're not running the ball every time. Right. So I thought that was nice to see. Um, anything else for you, like coming out of spring, like anything you're concerned about, wondering about, um, think they need to get addressed here over the next few months as they get ready for camp and then the Notre Dame? I, think, I just think it's the same as, as what it's always been. Um, and I think you feel a little bit more comfortable about the pieces that they have personnel-wise, but – just very curious to see what the final product of this looks like, what the defensive back alignment is, mm-hmm. um, how much are they rotating corners, uh, can young guys get in the mix, because it does seem interesting to me that you know there's a lot of newness involved, and I don't know uh, how much or how willing Jim Knowles might be to play a freshman, and if that's even yeah. on the table. You know what I mean? Like that. That's to me the the thing that I'm. Um, I also would be remiss to not mention that JT Tui Maloa is an absolute. That's a man. Yeah. I think he's he going to have a huge. monster year. He's going to yeah. have a monster season. Yeah, and 44 is just the sexiest number yeah, that he could possibly number. wear. Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, I, 44 and 33 is a hell of a duo number-wise for really good uh, bookends. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know, unless you do single digits, because two for a defensive end is also nasty. But Yeah, they have nine with Zach, and they have eight with Javante Jean-Baptiste, but then I think it's more traditional stuff besides the 44 and the 33. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I... That's fun. I forgot that I had pre-written something about uh, Seven Banks transferring to LSU because, like, we had gotten word that that was going to happen last week. And Brody Miller just tweeted out, like, analysis on Seven Banks for me and Bill Landis. I was like, what? I didn't write that. But I remember now. I wrote it last week. So yeah, go ahead and read that. Job, Seven, Banks, Seven Banks is transferring to LSU. Yeah. Um, on that note, I guess, like, the uh, I'm wondering. So we're recording on April 19th. May – I think it's May 2nd is the deadline. The guys have – to transfer and still be immediately eligible for next season. Um, we saw Jacoby Cowan go into the portal this week. I'd imagine they'll have a couple more. Um, they're like, I think they need like two or three more to be at their scholarship number. So like, I'm not worried about that, but I'm, I'm wondering if they can get to a place numbers wise, where they then potentially explore additions, um, whether that is at tight end or like a depth cornerback or a depth off. I think they like if, if they could find a depth offensive lineman who was like willing to come here, knowing he's not going to start this year. It's a really hard sell, but I think they need that guy because I'm their offensive line depth is concerning to me at the moment. I like their first five. I think Josh Fryer it could be an okay number six as long as he comes back fully healthy. But the depth at the like there's I just don't look at the depth on the O line and see a bunch of guys who were like good enough to play at Ohio State right now. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have an option to bring in a guy who can play here via the portal who's not going to start, but I think they really need to, what do they say, rattle the bushes? Is that what they do? How, how do they, whatever rattle, that, whatever that, rattle the whatever, cages. Whatever that, whatever that turn of phrase is, um, they need to see if they can find a guy, I think, to bring in on the offensive line. Rattle the bushes purposes. is what you did in college. <laughs> you mean bush beer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think there are a few players that are on the team currently that I am surprised are still on the team. And I don't want to say anybody's name because it's disrespectful, but I'm very curious to see if those players who are still on the team will be on the team on May 2nd, the day after I get married. Yeah, I think that's right. There's, I mean, there's even Ryan Day even said uh, on last Thursday when we talked to him before the spring game, he was talking about depth at safety and uh, Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com asked, like, do you th- like, do you not have enough guys at safety? He's like, no, we have too many guys at safety. We just don't have enough of them who are healthy to play the game. <laughs> so uh, that's a position I think you look at. Um, there's a lot of guys along both lines who just saw Jacoby Callum go in, like I said. Um, so we'll see. I think they, they have a lot of tight ends. So um, there's there's plenty of spots you can look at for movement. There's a lot of receivers. So, you know, I really, I'm not, I, I don't think I'd be shocked that, at any position losing a guy here because that's just sort of the way the world works. But yeah, May, May, May 2nd, excuse me, is that deadline for guys to enter the portal and still be eligible for next season. So there'll be more movement before then for sure. Yep. Um, all right, let's talk a little recruiting, shall we? I love recruiting. Okay. So, uh, I think since, I think the last time we talked recruiting in any form or fashion was like right after Malik Hartford committed. And we talked about it very briefly, uh, since then, Ohio State has added three more players to its 2023 class. Uh, Mark Fletcher, four-star running back from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, Dijon Johnson, four-star. I think it's Dijon. Or it might be Dion. I think it's Dijon. Uh, Johnson, four-star cornerback from Tampa, Florida. And Bryson Rogers, a three-star receiver from Zephyr Hills, Florida, who's originally from Warren, Ohio. So three Florida guys added to the class to join Cedric Hawkins to give Ohio State four Florida players already in this class, which might be worth talking about. On, on its own, but I think there is a qu- question is probably the right way to frame it right now about just how this class is coming together. And Ari, I, I think you yourself find yourself asking, you know, questions along the, the same line, which I think like, I'm not, I think, I think it's worth talking about. This class has nine commitments at the moment and one top 100 player. If I were to change the colors of the 247 uh, banner to blue and white and black out all the names, would you be looking at a Penn State class? Yeah. So far. This might maybe like a maybe like this is like a good Penn State class, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is Now you said little... something about rating changes. So like I guess like didn't Mark Fletcher jump up three hundred spots the second he committed to Ohio State? Like was he like no, but three I, or four hundred? I, I think I think Bryson Rogers is going to jump up, um, and I think Dijon Johnson is probably going to jump up a little bit because yeah. The other thing you have to look at is like their offer list. Like these sure, are guys that had like Alabama, Alabama, Georgia, all the Florida schools, LSU. Like everyone was coming after these guys, and Ohio State got them. So yeah. I, I think. Um, and even like other recruiting services have like Bryson Rogers much higher than like two four seven does. So I, I think he'll jump. And also, I don't I don't think you do this across the board with Ohio State that you just like assume like oh well if they like him this guy's good. But I think you probably do that with Brian Hartline. So like if Brian Hartline has taken Bryson Rogers, like he Brian Hartline doesn't recruit. He he selects players that he likes. So if he likes this guy, I think you can feel pretty confident in that evaluation. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to do it for the entire class. And this class at the moment is like not not quite as good as previous classes have been at this particular time. Well, it just it seems to me and we're in April. So, mm-hmm. let me just say everything that I say should be veiled in 
it's early. I don't know what's going to happen. People could jump up. They could rattle off four or five star prospects in a row. I don't know what's going to happen. My only concern coming into the class, into the cycle for Ohio State was that Ohio was very weak and other places that they traditionally recruit are very strong now with first-year head coaches like Mario Cristobal in South Florida, Dan Lanning replacing him at Oregon, um, and all the other, you know, the Texas schools are all locked down with, with what I believe to be proficient recruiters. And it would just be very hard for Ohio State to nationally select, I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley at USC is one, you know, and I, have we ever talked about this on the podcast or just yelled at each other on the phone about it? Uh, I don't I recall, if, but the theory is, is that if you have a weak class in Ohio, which is clearly, you know, it's not the worst state in the country, but it's not what Ohio usually is. Um, what is it? Was it? it two top 100 players? Two right? top 100 players and one's not going to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are left to, to recruit nationally as a necessity. And then all your normal territories are locked down with first year head coaches or coaches that have turned it on from a recruiting standpoint, that this might be a very difficult cycle for Ohio State to sign 11 to 14 top 100 players like it has the last few years. So do I think Ohio State's class is going to finish outside of the top six? Probably not. But as I'll say a million times on this show and in Stars Matter and every other podcast I'm ever on, there is a stark difference between the top three class and the top five class. So the thing I'm very curious and on high alert for is whether or not Ohio State is able to sign a class that belongs in the hierarchy, the, the discussion of the higher three three schools and isn't somewhere in the mesh of other seven second-tier schools that have a top-five class. Last right. year, Texas signed a top-five class, and that wasn't... You might be like, okay, well, everything's great. Texas signed a top-five class, but if you actually go back and look at it, you know they had a few guys come in um, that were t- five-star prospects from, from Texas, but... I believe they only had like three or four top 100 players total. And it's like, that is not going to get it done if you want to get to where Ohio State wants to go. So, I I mean, I've looked at their targets. It seems like they're in on some really good guys, but it just seems like this year was going to have a lot of inherent challenges, um, especially coming off a year where they didn't reach their expectations, which may or may not have a factor at all because Ohio State's still Ohio State. I came into the cycle concerned that they would be able to sign a class as good as the ones that they've signed the last two years. That's all. Yeah, I, and I think I think it's a fair concern. Just like for the sake of comparison, I went back and looked at the last few classes. So um, right now in 2023, they have nine commitments. Only one of them is in the top 100, um, there's so, and there's no five-star prospects. The highest-rated player is Luke Montgomery, who's a top 50, like close to being borderline five-star, but not quite there. Um, 2022 class at this point, so in April before those players' senior years, um, Ohio State had 11 commitments total, three five-star prospects, Quinn Ewers, C.J. Hicks, Jaheim Singletary. Obviously, two of those guys are no longer on the team, but they still had three five-star prospects at this point last year. 2021's weird because – And out of those weird. 11, I think like seven of them were top 100 players. Um, like they were on track like at this point last year to sign, without question, the number one class in the country. Yeah, they had Desan McCullough then. Keon Grays and Caleb Burton were already in the mix. Gay Powers is already committed. Um, and it's kind of funny when you say the names now, they didn't end up coming here. So it doesn't like, I think maybe that might be the point you're getting to, but, um, 20, 2021 was a very weird year because that was them like recruiting when no one could visit anywhere. So they had 16 commitments at this point, which is kind of crazy. 
Um, a bunch of five-star prospects, Jack Sawyer, Kyle McCord, Donovan Jackson, Trevion Henderson, um, other top 100 guys like Tumiche Adelaide, um, who else was in there? Mike Hall, Evan Pryor, Ja'Kalen Johnson. Like, they had a really good class at this point, but that was also when guys were just kind of, like, jumping to get their spots because recruiting was so weird. So I don't, I don't really know if that is fair to compare that. Um, and then 2020, by this point, they had eight. Um, Parrish Johnson, uh, G. Scott was a top 100 guy. Jackson Smith and Jigba I don't think was yet a top 100 guy, but was on his way to becoming a five-star prospect. So maybe 2020 is like a little more comparable, but even then they had at least one five-star prospect in Parrish Johnson at that time. So to not have a five-star, to only have one top 100 guy is, is a little behind the pace of where Ohio State's been with its most recent classes. Um, I don't... F- I don't find it overly concerning at the moment as like so long as the guys you reference, you know, Brandon Innes, Carnell Tate, Caleb Downs, Mateo Uyangalale, um, the Keon Keeley, if they can flip him from Notre Dame, Tekka Curtis, Chase Bizantis, Walker Lyons, like these are all top 100 guys. So like if they have a, if they have nine now and they're going to add nine or 10 top 100 guys, then it's like a normal Ohio state class. And then with that, like if this is, if this is Ohio State kind of like raising the floor of its recruiting classes, which I think maybe it could be, then I think that's a good thing. Because I, I think the last couple of years they've taken maybe a handful too many guys that are just like ranked too low and frankly I think it's like never going to play here. And that lowers your class average compared to teams like Alabama and, and Georgia. Um, and I went back and looked it up actually. The last few classes, like uh, the average player rating of the players that ranked outside of the top 100 – this group currently as the second highest average behind last year's class. Which um, is probably going to happen because if you don't have as many top 100 players, you're probably going to have more 200, 300, 400 sprinkled in there than you previously would. Yeah. So that, I think those numbers are kind of – it's kind of – like I, I think it's an interesting point. But well, they have if uh, your if your ceiling is lower, then your freaking floor better be higher. I mean, like that's the yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm yeah, – well, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm not saying that the ceiling is going to be lower. If the ceiling is what the ceiling has been and the floor is higher in conjunction with that, then I think Ohio State. But if they're going to take spot. 19 to 20 players this year, that means that you're saying that they, every other commitment they're going to get gonna for gonna the take, rest of the class has to be a top 100 player to accomplish that. I think they're going to take probably like 22, 23. If I There's just, a they human have, being at my front door. Nice. I think they have uh, – was it expected or unexpected? It left, so I don't know what oh. they were doing. It nice. might be Amazon because – I don't know if your house is like this, but every single day the front door of my house looks like a bottom of a Christmas tree. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ohio State. I was looking at my scholarship chart, and I think they have like sixteen guys who are going to be like off the off the books, so to speak, after this season, um, and that's not including early enrollees. So, if you're looking at like sixteen to nineteen, just sort of like normal attrition plus transfers. I think you end up in a situation where Ohio State's probably going to sign, I would guess, like low 20s, more mm-hmm. than 19, maybe like 20, 22 um, in its 2023 class. So that's they have nine now. So, so they're almost they, halfway there without a top 100 player. So in order to achieve what they should be achieving, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's like there's no margin for error unless people decommit or no, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it because they've had like oh, just like the last few classes, they had nine top 100 players last year. They had 14 the year before that. They had seven the year before that. 2019 was weird year. Um, in 18, 2018 they had 13, and 2017 they've had 10. So 
if you like remove the one weird 2019 year where they had a really small class and there was like I think I don't know coaching staff stuff happening um their average of top 100 players is like right around 10 so and they only have one right now so they need to keep pace with that and if they do then this and is doing it's going to be harder that's the thing too like doing it's going to be harder this year than it yeah, has been I, in the past and I don't know how much you buy into that theory because Mario it, Cristobal right. is in South Florida, that, that it's going to be harder to get a Miami prospect or going out to California is going to be harder. But, like, where can Ohio State safely go from a recruiting well, I mean, standpoint? They're doing, they're doing pretty good work. in Florida. Like, Mark Fletcher was recruited by Miami out of Fort Lauderdale, and Ohio State got him. And like, yeah, no, like, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and I'm not saying they're not going to get anybody, but what, let's go look at the top 100 players or the top 10 players in Florida and see how many that Ohio State's going to be in the mix for. Because it seems, it's like, who's the highest rated one? Carnell Tate? No, At number nine? Is it Brandon, or Brandon Innes? Innes? Yeah, Brandon Innes Who, would be I think gonna, four. I think they're going to get him. Okay. You know, and I don't know, maybe the crystal balls are are, are low. I mean, are, are old. So it's like it's hard to like look at it. But right now, I'm looking at the top ten players in the state of Florida, and Carmani McLean is uh, between Miami and uh, Florida. And last year, that probably wouldn't have been the case. You know what I, I mean? I'm just saying there's, there's yeah. less options as a result of these things. And I'm not saying that Ohio State can't win head-to-head battles with Miami anymore. That would be a psychopathic thing to say. But what I'm saying is that if there are less options out of the elite players because the elite – because, you know, Alabama's going to get theirs in Florida. Mm-hmm. So you have to at least, like, probably discount three or four of the top ten players in Florida just to Alabama alone. That doesn't account for uh, the work that Miami's doing in, in Florida, that Georgia's doing in Florida, Clemson's doing in Florida, and Ohio State is. So, like, if Ohio State only – and like maybe top ten is like a bad benchmark uh, for for Florida because the top twenty players in Florida are top hundred players. So the top twenty, that there's probably you know some extra room there. But I think you have to to think that Florida's going to get their fair fair share of players. Miami's going to get a few more than they normally would have. Georgia's going to be in there. Alabama's going to be. It's going to be. It's just harder. So it's if you don't have that yeah. base uh, in in Ohio. And you don't have the layup spots because, like, Texas A&M is recruiting like an absolute juggernaut right now. So going into Texas is going to even be harder. I just don't know how – like, if Ohio State signs a class with 11 top 100 players this year somehow, I think you could make the case that that would be the most impressive thing that Ryan Day's done as a recruiter since he's been at Ohio State, even if the class isn't ranked as high as some of the other ones. Like, it's it's just a different atmosphere out there now. I think that's right because only one would be from in-state and the rest of those guys would probably be from Florida or Georgia. Yeah, and like Billy Napier's a dog, dude. Like they, yeah, he I can mean, recruit. He yeah. can recruit, and Dan Lanning can recruit at Oregon, and USC uh, is USC now. And it's just like in the past, every single year, I feel like, you know, in Texas kind of, you know, Georgia when we first started working together was a good place for them to go. Um Texas kind of carried that flag. We all know what they've done in Texas. Florida was the Jim Trussell years, and they sprinkled it in in the time since. But, like, there is no sure thing secondary market for for Ohio State to just be like, you know what, we can go there and we can get who we want. Like, And that is is maybe the first time in the last 10 years that you couldn't say that about at least a single secondary territory. That feels right. Um, it's like I even think Michigan so- to a certain extent. Some then, of these, yeah, some of these places are so densely populated with with top tier talent that you can still go there and get guys, but it's not it's not as easily identifiable as it has been in the past. It's like the the West Coast was right for the picking for so long. Um, Texas was as well, um, and it's just not. It's not to say that like, I don't think either one of us is like thinks that Ohio State can no longer win in those places. It's just like 
I think exponentially more difficult. And even if it, it takes been. if it takes thirty percent more effort to win every single one of those recruiting battles, then you're going to lose a guy because of it. Yeah, if you got to spend more time one place. And, yeah, 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 and it's like yeah. Ohio State had like what's their class breakdown right now for like where the players are from in their class? They've got nine, I think, four from Ohio, four from Florida, and I think one's from Tennessee. So, like, if that is their breakdown, then they've already maxed out what they're getting out of Ohio because I don't know if there's any. Is there one more player that they might be taking out of Ohio? Austin um, Sierraveld. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So put them at five, and I think they're probably going to be maxed out at five at Ohio. That means you've got to make up 10 to 13 more spots um, from out of state when you don't have a secondary place that's just easy. And that, think, to me, yeah. is hard. And, like, the four players that they have out of Florida right now, whether or not they're underrated or you trust Brian Hartline or whatever excuse or not excuse, explanation that you have – for that, none of them are top 20 players in the state of Florida. So maybe not even mm-hmm. top 30. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, one's 29. That's the highest rated one. So, like, Is that, that it's, yeah. And, like, yeah. I'm assuming that players with Alabama offers, as you said, will go up because if you, if you beat up uh, Alabama, Florida, Miami, and Georgia, and Clemson for a player who's ranked 375, that doesn't feel like you're getting the 375th best player. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. But, Across the board, it just seems like a long way to go to get where you think they're going to arrive. I don't. I think. I think that's right. The, the one thing I'll say about this group, as it stands right now, like I, I don't think there's anyone in this class at the moment that Ohio State has taken because they don't feel confident about getting tar- higher rated targets at the same position. Um, and I think that would still be true when they add, if they add Austin Sierraville to this class, because they've been recruiting him for a long time. He's like a top three hundred ish offensive lineman um, who also has Alabama uh, has like other major offers besides Ohio State. Um, but I think if you start to see them take other kids from Ohio beyond that, then that's a little bit of a tip maybe that they don't feel great about getting some of these other guys. I, I'm, I'm not on alert for that yet, but I think it's getting close to it. But who are the Ohio kids you're talking about? Like ones that are like in the in the eleven to fifteen range, yeah, like, like the Kentucky if, range. Yeah, like if they uh, like one off the top of my head is like Wiltrell Harrison. I think is his name. They're running back from Maslin. It's like if they take him because they want two backs in this class, then they probably don't feel great about getting obviously getting Richard Young or getting Cedric Baxter or any other higher rated running back. Um, if they take another corner um, or another safety, then maybe they don't feel great about getting Caleb Downs. Or uh, I don't think they're going to get Cormani McLean anyway, but um, that kind of stuff. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't think someone like sent me a thing on on Twitter after I posted the story about the two guys who committed on Easter Sunday, Johnson and Rogers, and said like, are they doing this because they're not confident they're going to get their their top targets? And I don't, I don't think that's the case yet. I don't think they're in that position because we're not even into like official visit season yet. Um, but they need to get these guys on. Like the, the one thing about Ohio State is they're as good as it gets in the country about like sealing the deal on official visits. So like if they can get if they can get to that point with all these top guys we're talking about, then I think I would feel pretty good about the way the class is going to shape up. But if some of these guys start coming off the board between now and June before those visits happen, then Ohio State could be in a tough spot. Trying, trying, and it's not to say they're going to have a terrible class. It'll be a tough spot trying to assemble a class that is on par with what they've recruited recently. Yeah, and in a world too where super classes are getting more and more lopsided. It's just like, you got to be in that group at Ohio state. Like 
You it's can, just like uh, Alabama and yeah. Texas A&M, those classes that they signed last year, just like if you want to win a national title, you're going to be going up against teams that are signing 13 to 15 players in the South every year that are in the top 75. Like, I mean, the, the class that A&M signed last year was borderline unfair. And like, yeah, I don't but know I don't how know it's going to manifest. That, like, because we've talked, haven't we talked a lot about like that the with Ohio State sometimes the 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 talent seems too concentrated at one spot. Yeah, like, yeah. You I got a mailbag. If you signed fourteen that, players, no, it wasn't me. But if you signed fourteen players and half of them play this fourteen top one hundred players and half of them play the same position, like, well, how's that really going to shake? The same up? position group. They don't play the same position. Right, but even even then, it's like, and it's not to say it's like. I'm yeah. not trying to make make light of pulling that off because it's an incredible recruiting feat, but it's like, I, I don't know. I think I'd like to see that spread out a little more. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, that isn't a one-off. Like, if they only sign that one class and then it's over, then it's just like, okay, well, that was fun. But if they do that again and again and again, then Texas A&M will win a national championship in the next decade. Like, I'd bet, I'd bet anything on that. Um and if you're going to have the same cl- players at the same position, I think defensive line would be a good place to start doing that. So, yeah. like, you know, um, and players are going to transfer. People are going to leave. But that's the thing about it. You get 14 guys. Not all 14 are going to have an impact. But eight of them might. And if you have eight of them and they're all really good, then you're going to have a really good football team. You know, it's the same thing we talk about with Ohio State. So, you know, and, and the goal here, too, isn't to uh, – to win the Big Ten, you know, the goal is to beat Alabama, and like A and M was a fun side story last year because of signing the best class of all time. But you know, it's not like Alabama was far off from that, and like mm-hmm. Ohio State can't. I don't know I'm just saying obvious shit right now, but Ohio State can't slip back from that mode if they ever have any fantasy whatsoever of getting over whatever hump they're trying to get over right now. Yeah, I think that's right. And like the last time we talked to Gene Smith, like he said that he said like it takes one class, it takes one class to fall behind, and then. It can spiral from there, um, and it's not to be like dramatic about it, but that's that's the game. That's the game. How many Ohio times State's has Ohio anyway. State had teams in the last seven years that have been torpedoed by a bad class? I think they were undone a little bit by a bad class last year. Were they undone about bad class in eighteen? Uh, yeah, the twenty fifteen recruiting class was. A little was pretty rough. Yeah, you get a rough class, and you have weaknesses on an otherwise great team that stop you from making the playoff. Mm-hmm. So you know everybody might think that it's like, oh yeah, well I trust Brian Hartline or these guys' ratings will go up. It's like if they have one bad class, the vision of what I view for Ohio State's future changes. It's that it happens that fast. So you know you keep signing up uh, the players that they've been signing up the last few years, and I believe that they are a perennial national championship contender. You take one bad one bad step back, and you got two two injuries, and all of a sudden you got a hole in your linebacker room, or you got a hole in your receiver room. Maybe that's a bad example because it's not going to be in the receiver room. Offensive line, offensive, offensive line. line. Yeah, I mean, there's you got a hole in a position, you got a hole in your hole, your hole in your chances of beating Alabama. So that's all. That's the only point. And like, I know people might think or be annoyed by my uber concentration on recruiting, but like, I don't think people appreciate how delicate the tightrope is. You got to keep pace, and it's not like we get like development matters, coaching matters, all that stuff matters. But talent acquisition is the name of the game at, at the at the level when you're trying to compete for national championships. If you want to win the Big Ten, you could Ohio State can win a Big Ten. With oh this yeah, this kind, class this is this class. is a this class could still win the best the class Big in the Big Ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not really what we're talking about. That's never what we're talking about. If you're on the show, we are never talking about it. And it's funny saying it a year where they just got their ass kicked by Michigan, but that's not the discussion on this podcast. And if you want to discuss like, oh, well. 
And like also too, everybody, I'm putting you on notice, Landis. I'm putting you on notice. If, if Ohio State signs a class that finishes number five and looks like Texas's class last year, like I'm going to write a column about how they failed. Like I'm not. This isn't going to be a podcast where you're going to hear, well, it's a top five class because that doesn't mean shit. That's like a complete and utter miscalculation of what the analysis of that should be. Like it's mm-hmm. either ten top one hundred players or you fall behind. There's no in between to me. I think that's right. I think it's it's not. Top five is is a fine benchmark to shoot for, I suppose. For people who don't want to win a national title every year, it's all it's yeah. it's where it's where are you in terms of like average player rating and top one hundred players compared to Alabama, Georgia, and whoever else is up at the, top, at the top? Because as you said, there could be a massive gulf between number five and number three some years. Yes, um, and even right years. now, even right now, like Ohio State, Ohio, Ohio State has, has a number two class in the country. In two four seven sports, but it is two full two points behind an average player rating behind the number one class, which is Notre Dame, um, at ninety four point three, and Ohio State's at ninety two point three. Uh, that'd be and, cool if you could like take that sentence and sliver it and put it in a time machine, and then like say it out loud in a year. Well, the other thing too, like it's Notre Dame. I, well, Notre Dame. That's that's among classes that have six at least six commits because like no one has a ton of commits right now. Like Alabama and USC's average player ratings are higher, but they each only have three players. Um, USC has three players, and like their average player rating is like a perfect prospect. <laughs> it's like ninety nine point something. Uh, we'll see how that class fills out, but um, it's ranked number two. But you got to look a little deeper than that at the moment, and it's well, here, not. Yeah, it's so, not to say they're not going to finish it off the way you want them to it's just that like where how they are currently situated puts a lot of pressure on them to like hit a couple home runs here in the next four months here's my benchmark if you go back and you look at last year's recruiting rankings ohio state finished number four mm-hmm. it had the second highest average player rating or no third highest behind a&m and alabama higher than georgia but the th- top three um recruiting classes and average player ranking all were above 94. And then you go down to number five at Texas and you get into the 91, 90, 91, 91, 91, 90, 89, 89, 90 range. Ohio state has to be in that top tier where the average player rating is distinctly separated from the rest of the, of the, of what I call no man's land, Mm -hmm. which is five through 14, where you could make a case that all those classes are the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're not the same because the evaluations and the development, once those those classes get into the programs, vary based on the coaching staff. But when you look at on paper, like you could make the case that you would take Clemson's class, which finishes number 10 overall over the number five class, which is Texas, because they're it's just interchangeable because they all have very similar average player ratings and they all have similar numbers of, of players. Then it would just be about preference of who you want. There is an, an indisputable fact that the top four classes in America last year are up and above better than the rest below it. And Ohio state has to be in that top tier. However you wanted this. Like, is that a fair thing to say? Like a, so. yeah. a, like a distinction of that? Because when you start getting into five, six, seven, eight, nine, that's Michigan, Penn state, Texas, North Carolina, Oregon territory. And that's not the territory that you want to be in. Yeah. And they're, I think they're, they're like right in the, they're third among programs that have at least six commits. They are third in average player rating behind Notre Dame and Georgia. Um, they are full point behind Georgia. They are two points behind Notre Dame. Alabama, USC, LSU are coming. Clemson will probably be there too. So 
like they're not they're not in a terrible spot right now. But this has to be a banger of a summer for Ohio State. Does. For them for them to to keep pace with where they've been and where they need to be if they want to continue to contend for national championships. So totally. um, just curious to see how it plays out. Um, well, that was know. a very, that was a very mature, long conversation about football and recruiting. Sure was. Should we spend 50 minutes on aliens or what? Uh, no, let's just, let's just end while we're on, while we're on good footing here. Yeah. Let's just, I mean, don't marry your sister. Yeah. That's, don't, that's marry, don't marry thought. your cousin. Yeah. Don't put Twinkies on your pizza. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're, we're all having a good time and everybody, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and, uh, continuing to listen. I love doing it with bill. Um, I'm going to see Landis in a few weeks for the first time in three years in person, which is staggeringly bad. So I'm going to get my pause. Is that right? Is it three years? I don't know. I mean, I've been in, no, uh, when did the pandemic happen? I met, I I saw you March, March of 2020. Okay. So not three years, two years. Two years. Yeah. I think I saw Still you in April time. or May of 2020. Yes, where the where the pandemic could not keep us six feet apart. That's, um, right. That's right. So two years. That's still a long time. Very long but we're going to get a lot of we're going to get a lot of best friend time. I think we're going to get. She's coming to the wedding, and then him and I are. I'm going to ask to share a room with you, um, even though we're going to the summit together, um, and we all have our individual rooms. I'm going. Well, my f- wife will be there. She, she might have something. To are say you about serious? That. Yeah. Well, she's going to be there for one day. Landis, this was like our time to hang out. Like, I, what is she going to do? Can she go on a hike or something? Like, what are we doing here? Maybe I'll see. I'll see if I can get her out of there for a while. Wait, wait, so, what's your plan? What's your plan? So, from my wedding, are you are you driving from my wedding to Phoenix? You want the whole plan? Yeah, let's do the whole plan. I'll give you my whole plan, and then you, when this is the point where if you don't care about what our plans are, uh, you can shut it off. But we have a very interesting few days of long distance driving. Flying to Phoenix on Saturday. Uh, well, then on Sunday, drive to New Mexico. Spend a few days in New Mexico. Drive to Flagstaff. I think spend a couple days there. Go to the Grand Canyon. Um, in between there and New- Newport Beach is where we're staying for your wedding. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do. We have like one day there. And then we're going to be in Newport Beach slash Laguna for your wedding for two days. And then drive back to Phoenix. Um hang out in Phoenix for I think a day before our work thing starts and then we'll be there the rest of the week. Are you driving to, so you're driving to Phoenix on Monday, Monday. the day after your wedding. So am I want to, want to, I think we're going to try to do the, the, uh, Salton sea salvation mountain. Dude, I'm rolling. Can I roll with? Yeah, you can roll with me, you and Leah at in and out burger in Palm Springs. That's right. That's right. Okay. So here's mine. I am leaving Dallas, Texas on Tuesday evening, April 19th. At 7.30 p.m. after I put my baby down, and I'm going to drive to Midland, Texas. Then the next day, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to try to make it to Tucson. Um, and then I'm spending the night in Tucson just because I want to spend a night in Tucson. Then I'm going to drive up to uh, Phoenix for the for uh, the day of picking up Britt and the baby who's flying uh, while I have all the stuff, all of her luggage, all of her wedding dresses, everything that we're getting married in, in my car. Picking her up from the airport on Tuesday afternoon, dropping the baby off, um, or Thursday afternoon. I'm leaving Tuesday, picking her up on Thursday, dropping her off at my parents' house um, on Friday. Then Britt and I have a wedding that's not ours in Sedona on Friday and Saturday night. Then I'm driving back down with Britt, swooping the baby up for my parents in Scottsdale, moving 
uh, on to Palm Springs for two days where we will hang out in Palm Desert um, together for two days. Then we will go to Laguna for uh, the remainder of the week, plan for the wedding, get married on Sunday. Then I'm driving to Phoenix on Monday morning where the summit will be uh, for the week uh, for the college football staff in Phoenix where you, me, and Leah will hang out. And then on Friday, which is the last day of our summit, I will return to Texas and I have to be in Texas by Sunday, which is Mother's Day. But you're driving that. That's all driving. Yeah. I want to drive. I wanted to drive. We were originally planning to do the whole thing, drive, like do like cross-country road trip. It didn't work out that way. But I would like to drive from Phoenix back to Columbus. Like up through like Moab, like up through Utah and stuff. Yeah, if you do that. Yeah. I mean, once you start getting, like driving from Phoenix, once you pass El Paso. uh, I've also never been to West Texas. Yeah. Well, I got news for you, bud. It's not what you think it is. Um, El Paso is cool because you got the mountains, but the second you clear the mountains, you're just kind of in flatland oil land for 10 straight hours. That's like the craziest thing about living in Texas is when you drive 10 hours, you still haven't left the state. (laughs) I feel that way about Pennsylvania sometimes, but it's not the actual, I can't imagine that being the actuality of my existence. Well, it feels that way because it's the long state and you're like cutting through the length of it. But Texas is massive. Um, But yeah, totally excited. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of planning and a lot of thought process and trying on suits and all this stuff. And, you know, we're finally going to get it done and it's going to be a great day. And then I'm spending my honeymoon with you, bud. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so as I said at the start, no no show next week because of all that. But the following week, Ari and I will be in the same place. We'll record an episode then. Maybe we'll do like Q&A. If you guys want to send in some questions to the email address, 426AB at gmail.com. For the 11 of you who decided to still listen to this point, uh, please send questions to 426AB at gmail.com, and we'll record an in-person pod for the first time since 2020 uh, and answer some of those questions. Until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) 